I think it's pretty incredible you've been monitoring and involved in economic policy making since the Johnson administration. You're just revealing how old I am. <laughs> Welcome to Bloomberg Benchmark. I'm your host, Tori Stilwell of Bloomberg News, and I'm joined by my colleague and co-host Dan Moss. Benchmark is a podcast about the economy, and we'll be pulling out all kinds of numbers and ideas from around the world and sharing them with you in hopefully the least boring way possible. So less Econ 101 lecture and more backyard barbecue banter. We'll be enlisting the help of our colleagues from across Bloomberg News, as well as experts who are way smarter than us to help break all of it down. And for our very first episode, we're going to be talking about productivity, which, Tori, I thought you put it nicely when we were brainstorming topics. You said it's possibly the biggest threat to the economy that you've never heard of. Well, not quite, but we'll explain what this mysterious productivity thing is in a minute. First, let's introduce our guests. Our colleague Aki Ito is here from San Francisco. Hello. And we also have Barry Bosworth with us. Barry's a senior fellow in economic studies at Brookings. And I really have to just say, I think it's pretty incredible you've been monitoring and involved in economic policy making since the Johnson administration. You're just revealing how old I am. <laughs> so let's get right to it. The biggest threat to the economy you've never heard of. Aki, aren't you being a little bit harsh there? And if you're not, just tell us what it is. Sure. So productivity is pretty simple. It's output per hour. It's um, everything that you're producing in the economy divided by all the time that it takes to actually produce it. So, uh, Tori, your favorite food is pizza. Cheese pizza, specifically. <laughs> so let's say that you're an owner of a pizzeria, let's okay. say, yeah. You have a bunch of workers who make pizzas for you. Your goal is to sell uh, more and more pizzas, right. but at the same time, you don't want to pay all this overtime wages to your employees. Your goal is to sell more pizzas, but to not have to pay workers all these wages. Right. Um, so you're trying to cut down on the time that it takes for your workers to make these pizzas every day. You could do a couple different things to do that. You could maybe train your employees so they can make the pizzas faster and better. Maybe you could raise wages for your workers so you can attract more experienced pizza makers. Or maybe you could invest in, you know, some kind of magical oven <laughs> if it exists. So you can make your pizzas in maybe five minutes instead of 20 or 25 minutes. So, Barry, you used to teach at Berkeley. What would you rate that out of 10? <laughs> About a seven. A seven? To be generous. <laughs> Fill in the blanks for us here. I guess I would always start with there are two measures of productivity that are commonly used. Uh, I agree the output per worker is a very standard one. I think it's the most relevant one for workers be, because increases in productivity is what gives room for increasing your real wage. And everybody wants to have a higher standard of living. The key to that increases the labor productivity. But the one thing you mentioned about how you can get it is sort of two things. You can have technological innovations, or you could simply substitute a lot of capital for the workers. If you substitute capital for workers, and so you refer to that as total factor productivity, not just the output per worker, but the output of the combination of workers and capital, mm -hmm. well, then capital's got to get a share of that, too. And so there's less left over, 
so to speak, to give in the form of wage increases. It seems like technology, particularly in this digital age, is advancing at a dizzying pace. Why have the recent numbers from the Department of Labor looked so ordinary? I think the reason is that technology is advancing at a dizzying pace, but it's trivial. It's people playing games on social networks and things like that. It's not comparable, for example, to the invention of the automobile, the invention of electric power, airlines. So you're saying Snapchat, Twitter, don't make people more productive at work? (laughs) That's right. It entertains people, but it doesn't have a great value in terms of output. And when we're talking about productivity, we're talking about things that have value. So we have to take every innovation, so to speak, and value it by how much revenue is obtained from that. And most of these things are pretty trivial uses of people's time. They're a substitution in many respects. Advertisers used to assume you were on TV all the time. Mm-hmm. And you sat around the directed their ads at you. Now they assume you're on Twitter or you're on Facebook. But that's not a major shift in output or big increase that a society gets from it. It doesn't raise standard of livings particularly. So somebody is sitting in a loft on the West Coast designing apps, and they're getting paid for it, no question about it. But you're saying in yesteryear, these people would have been working on the next super type of semiconductor, something like that. Something that would have more value. If you think about the revolution of the computer, it just dramatically changed the way we worked. Uh, Offices were changed. Twitter is little feeds of things. It's sort of a substitute maybe for a snack, I guess you would say. I don't see necessarily that social networks have great value in terms of adding to GDP. We do include them. The problem is that we value them at quite a low level. So the increased activity of social networks... We measure it basically by how much the advertisers are willing to pay for it. But translate those incremental technological gains into the big issue of the moment, which is how come payroll growth of 200000 plus a month isn't translating into significant wage gains? I think the fundamental reason for that is that productivity is not, in a value sense of what firms do to produce things, adding much output. So we have become a society where most of the job growth is in retail stores, restaurants, relatively low-wage jobs, low-skilled jobs that don't add a lot of output. Let's get an overview of what the trend in productivity has been like for this expansion and how that compares to previous expansions. And I want to sort of frame it this way. As you know, we have some minor market volatility going on at the moment. And, you know, that's obviously a crisis in its own sort of way, maybe a short-term one. But, you know, a lot of things that I read from economists, they view productivity as a, as a long-term crisis of sorts. So I was wondering if you could just put the whole trend in context for us and tell us what it's like. Our concern has been on that long-term context. It has slowed down. We came out of World War II and the Great Depression with an enormous number of major innovations that we spent basically up to the mid-1970s implementing those ideas. And there was a tremendous expansion of American standards of living, and it showed up in productivity and in people's real incomes. Uh, Since 1972, then everything slowed down. 
And I think we'd have to be honest. We're not too sure about why that happened, despite mm-hmm. a lot of studies to try. But then in the 1990s, mid-90s, there was another big shock. The Internet and all the technological innovations associated with communications and computers. And there was a big improvement. So the 1990s was an era of very rapid growth in productivity, rapid growth in people's standard of living. Lots of people got jobs. The bubble kind of burst. Yeah. It probably stayed with us until the mid-2000s. But for the last 10 years, since about 2005, we have reverted back to that same old pokey growth in productivity that was from 1972 or so up to 1975. The difference, productivity was growing at about 2.5% per year in the good times, Mm -hmm. and now it's growing a little over 1%. It's not like it doesn't exist, but it's about half the rate it used to be. And that means your real incomes are going up much more slowly than they used to. Is our problem partly one of perception? And we keep thinking, wow, if only we could get back to the way things were in the 90s. But you seem to be saying that the 90s and the period that preceded that were an anomaly. And this actually is the normal. That's the big argument among economists. We haven't settled. There, there's well, which, a group which, which, of economists who think... The 1990s was just a brief bubble, as they put it, bound to burst, and we've now returned to this sort of sluggish, no major innovations, the big ideas have been thought of, etc. And others who are much more optimistic that there's been a little pause because of the Great Recession shocked a lot of firms. They postponed their investment in new ideas, but it will come again. And so they point to things like robots, increased reliance on those forms of technologies that could be another big wave of productivity gains. Which side are you on? I hate to say that I chicken out and I'm in the middle, but I think basically (laughs) I'm with the pessimist on the whole. I do not see innovations of the magnitude that we used to observe. It is true, though, that they take a very long time to be fully introduced into the economy. We have an idea, but it will take decades. Like the computer existed for 20 to 30 years before it really began to have a big effect on people's lives. So maybe 3D printing or the Hyperloop could be... Yeah, artificial intelligence. One of those things that's just taking a really long time to actually get on the ground. Well, these are all buzzwords that people throw around. I mean, what do you think they mean, really? Those uh, ideas are going to improve things some, but they're small. They're just not of the magnitude and sweep. When you think of what is our history composed of, the invention of electricity just dramatically changes everything. Has anything happened like that? And so I don't think recent events have been the big breakthroughs. I would argue, in fact, that we put so much restrictions on innovation as people try to capture it as rents that uh, it's much harder to come up with new ideas and implement them than they were in the past because Mm -hmm. everybody says, oh, that's mine, you can't. I patented it, and you try to... We sue a great deal today just over that idea. So, Tori, let's uh, step back a little bit. And, you know, if you were talking to your uncle or maybe to your friends, why should normal, ordinary Americans care about this nerdy statistic here on productivity? Why should they care that this is slowing down? 
I think it goes back to the point that, Barry, you mentioned earlier. A more productive worker has way more bargaining power when it comes to their wages. I think if, you know, going back to the pizza example, if you can show that you make five pizzas per hour and -and so-and-so only makes one, why shouldn't you be paid more? But it's also this idea that I was hoping you could expand on a little bit of how productivity in the context of rising wages also helps keep inflation in control? No, it's a big offset. I mean, if, if we don't have any productivity growth and we just give wage increases, all this is going to pass forward into higher prices and we'll be back into the same problem we had decades ago of high inflation. So rapid productivity, like in the 1990s, it did help hold down inflation. That's the big break, in fact, with the history of inflation in industrial countries. I would argue it's gone so far that Inflation is just not a significant issue anymore in most industrial societies. We're worrying about yesterday's problem. The much more fundamental one is that we are not getting these gains in people's standard of living and actually living better for hour of work than they used to in the past. You know, I read this incredible report that the White House released, um, I think it was earlier this year. They said that uh, if productivity had been growing at the pace that it was between 1948 and 1973, um, when productivity was growing really quickly, the median household in the U.S. would be earning $30,000 more per year. 30000 I could buy a lot of really fancy bicycles <laughs> with that. <laughs> There is also the argument that a lot of the innovation isn't being properly measured, and that's why the productivity stats are coming in low. What do you think of that argument? It's a problem. Uh, It's very hard to evaluate how important it is. Uh, But with computers, for example, the original difficulty was that we weren't capturing the productivity growth in computers back in the early 1990s. And a lot of the innovation that we now point to with uh, communications and computers is because we devise better ways to measure the technological change. And people worry uh, that we're not doing well on that. But I think we're very aware of it. We spend a lot of more effort by the statistical agencies to try to adjust for these things. I I think we do better than we did in the past. Uh, So I'm not of a view that you can just explain this away as a measurement problem. I think you see it in the discontent of people about improvements in their life standards. They do not think that their, that their real incomes are rising, and I think their perception is correct. It's not just a measurement problem that you can tell, oh, but you're really much more excited than you realized over social networks. I don't think that that can resolve this problem. But we have to grant that really measuring technological change and incorporating it into the quality of the product is extremely hard to do. Underlying all the surveys of consumer sentiment that we've seen that show people just don't feel as good as they used to, it's all about productivity, you think? I think a lot of it. I think in society that the people who do feel good about what's happened are the people who've had big gains in their real incomes, uh, the success stories, so to speak. And uh, the people who are discontent is the stagnation where life has been disappointing. 
If you go to a country like, say, take an extreme example of China, there's just been an, an enormous expansion of people's standard of living and the things they enjoy. They're not complaining about the lack of productivity growth. Their life is getting better every day. And it's because they're generating enormous improvements in productivity. It's easy to do because all you have to do is copy. It's much harder in the United States where we're at the technological frontier. So you can't copy anybody anymore. You have to come up with a new idea. And it's hard to do that. Let's rewind back to the early 1990s when, if memory serves, there was this debate that America was getting left behind, that the nation's best days were in the past, Japanese products were dominating, the Asian economic and business model was on the rise, the West was in decline. And little did we know it, but at precisely that point, the next big technological wave, the next big productivity boost was happening in garages, and not just garages, on the West Coast. So how do we know that the next big technological and productive spurt isn't already with us and we just can't see it? That's why we always have to be a little doubtful about any of our claims about what's going to happen in the future. I think your point is completely justifiable, that if you went back in the early 1990s, we, we used to comment a famous uh, quote by an American economist, as you can see the influence of computers everywhere except in productivity. And just about the time he said it, there was an explosion of productivity. <laughs> famous last words. Yes. You so, know, I'm still trying to figure out, Barry, whether you're an optimist or a pessimist. You've uh, come close to showing your hand at times in this yes. broadcast. I think basically I'm a pessimist when it comes to the productivity I think we are moving away from being truly an innovative society where, as you said, people came up with ideas in their garages. And we're being captured by large enterprises that try to claim everything is owned. And we're becoming a society that we're running around seeking rents from everybody else in the world rather than innovating. And I think that's discouraging for the future. On that note, <laughs> thank you so much, Barry. In the meantime, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, as well as on iTunes. And while you're there, please, please, please take a moment to rate the show. That helps other listeners find us. And also, tell us what you thought. You can reach us and follow us, hopefully, on Twitter, at DanMossDC, at Tori Stillwell, and at Akihito7. And until next time, if you find yourself hankering for more economic analysis, see your Bloomberg terminal or visit us at www.bloomberg.com. You have a really nice radio voice. Oh, well, thank you. You're welcome.